you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue through the book of Acts and allow the book to draw up the topics in which we speak from. It's past Appreciation Month this week, and I want to thank you. I received many, many cards and, and kind letters, but one of the most unusual little gifts I got was a little book, and the book is called A Guide to Pronouncing Biblical Names. So anyway, I want to thank whoever gave that to me, just a, a treasure that you are. I'm looking for, but I will not say her name, although she's sitting next to Bethany Boston towards the middle of the auditorium on the non-piano side, (laughs) but not near the window. But I think her privacy is important with that tan jacket on. Let's go through God's Word together. We're going to pick up in verse 19 just so we can drag a little context with us as we move into this. Paul says, I was serving the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through a lot of the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly, whether it be from house to house or, frankly, in public. Verse 21, I solemnly was testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what is going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit, now notice here again, solemnly testifies to me that in every city, saying that bonds of afflictions await me there. But I do not consider my life on any account as dear to myself, that I may finish my course And the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Let's ask God's blessing and we'll walk through this together. Gracious Father, come before you and I thank you for the opportunity to teach your word. Not because of any righteousness of my own, but because of your righteousness. Father, as I studied this passage... You revealed areas of sin in my life that I had either turned a blind eye to or never really noticed. And so, Father, in front of my church family, I repent of those sins. Father, my prayer is that I'm not just sorry for them, but I abandon them. Because you are holy and I am not, I want to be more like you. Father, I am a sinful man. I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us your word this morning. Your word, not ours. Father, bless these people. They are yours. I pray that your Holy Spirit would give them ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive. And I pray the same for myself. And I pray this and I ask this in your son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning, say amen. Amen. 
We've learned a lot about Paul's dead time. Remember that from last week. He's in the city of Miletus, and if you remember from last week, Paul has a good amount of unexpected free time that has just kind of fallen onto his lap as his ship stops and is going to be in port for several days. So being only roughly 30 miles away from Ephesus and the church that he began about as the, as the crow would fly, he, he calls over the elders from Ephesus to meet him in Miletus to have one final word of instruction with him as he uses his time wisely. He spoke about what his ministry was like and what the elders should seek to do as well in the church of Ephesus and what the elders should seek to do here at Trinity as well. How he did not shrink from both encouraging and challenging portions and teachings of Jesus Christ. But as the text goes on, we see a major pillar in Paul's teaching coming to the surface again. Now, it's important to understand that, yes, Paul would have and soon will teach on every imaginable subject in his letters that he will write to the churches in the New Testament. We see that in the book of Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and on and on. He touches many, many subjects. But found within every one of Paul's letters and sermons, if you will, we see a major emphasis on one primary subject— And that emphasis is on repentance and faith. Now, this is a little interesting because Paul's audience here is solid believers. Paul's audience is the elders of the church of Ephesus who not only know the gospel of Jesus Christ, they have received and are trying to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, did you know that in the book of Acts, this is the very first time that Paul will speak to an audience of primarily believers. This is the first time he speaks exclusively to believers, and not just believers, but spiritual leaders within the church. And yet, as he speaks to only believers, he says this, I solemnly testify to both Jews, you, and to Gentiles, of repentance towards God and faith in in the Lord Jesus Christ. These men, these elders, they understand these truths. So the question rises is why is Paul here and in every letter that he writes thereafter telling believers, because he writes to churches, telling believers about the gospel? Well, I believe there are two primary reasons for this. One, the primary doctrine of the church must be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? We are not here, I like how one, one uh, minister said in another place, he says, we, uh, the gospel is not designed to, to create Republicans and baptize them, amen? We are here, or, or Democrats, all right, but we're here in West Michigan, all right? The gospel is the primary teaching of the Word of God. No doctrine matters if the gospel is not the center of it. And number two, the church needs to hear the gospel. The church needs to hear the gospel as much as the lost, because if we do not, we will replace it with a migrating variant, migrating, mutating, that's a better word, all right? A mutating variant of the gospel. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, if truly accepted, will consume our life and our perspective on God. My friends, I like how one pastor said it. He said, if our conversation in life is not increasingly consumed or is 
consumed by something other than the gospel, then we are not understanding the gospels of the scripture or the mind of God. You see, the gospel is not just a doctrine that we add to all the other teachings of the word of God. It's not just one among many. It is the greatest manifestation of the attributes of God that has ever been given or ever will be given in our lives. My friend, if you were standing in front of an almighty, powerful, omniscient God and you were beholding the very face of God on the throne, you could not understand him unless you understand the gospel because it is in the gospel that God is revealed. It's everything. My friends, we are going to teach the church. That's you and that's me. I'm not up here teaching something that I have arrived at. I am up here teaching you something that I am trying to grow in. So we are going to teach the church, that's you and I, the gospel. Now let's define that here for a moment. What is the gospel? Well, it's the premise that God wants you to be very rich and healthy. I never understood that. Did anyone ever look at the lives of the apostles? Were they rich and healthy or did they die? You know? Look at Jesus Christ, man of sorrows, crucified for our sins. Prosperity and health? Let's define the gospel. The gospel is the person and the life and the work of Jesus Christ and how it is appropriated into our lives for not only salvation but sanctification becoming more like him. Because for many... Within the church, the gospel has become a variant that no longer saves the soul. The gospel has become a variant that no longer saves the soul. The gospel has become what it was never meant to be. So today, we will remind ourselves of the gospel, not only remind ourselves of the gospel, but how it is received and, we tend to forget that part, don't we? how it is received, and how it is revealed in our lives. Now, I have a short disclaimer here. Many of us will not like this sermon. Many of us will not like this sermon. I want to be honest with you. I struggled with this sermon all week. So I am asking you for your grace. I am asking for your mercy. I am asking you permission to shake your little world, if you will, to shake your salvation experience and to see if it withstands the biblical definition of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are willing to consent to a little shaking of your walk and experience and your confession with Jesus Christ, if you will allow me just to shake it a little bit, say amen. Those of you who oppose have no choice. Because the text determines what we what? Talk about. You know, expository teaching is very topical. It just doesn't allow us to pick the topics. And I like that. So what we're going to do here is this is our text this morning. But we're going to boil it down here. And we are going to spend all of our time, all of our time in 18 words. Now, How many here are starting to count right now? Anyone at all? As soon as you say that, we'll see if it's 18. Is it 18? Anyone? 
All right, good. He says this, I'm solemnly testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The first words I want you to see here are the words solemnly testifying there in the purple. Now, these two words in the English language are really coming from one word in the original Greek language. And here it is. It is a verb construction intensified by the preposition. How many here go, that just changed my life? Anyone at all? Bear with me. In simple terms, it means this. Paul never shared a variant. Paul never shared a variant of the true gospel. Solemnly testifying. I never strayed from what Christ told me. He was comprehensive and never partial in the, uh, in, in the giving of the gospel. Now, this is important because the question rises, what is he comprehensive about? What is he thorough about? Look at the text. He says this, repentance towards God and faith. I got hiccups. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he is never partial in. So the question that rises from this is this, church, and I I want you to answer this with either a yes or a no. Has the church today ever taught a gospel that did not require biblical repentance? What's the answer? Yes, we have. In fact, we're going to unpack that this morning in a way that might agitate some of us in our West Michigan definition of salvation. Now, the key to that question is biblical repentance. Not not our definition of repentance, but biblical repentance. Biblical repentance is not just feeling sorry for our sins. Biblical repentance is not just remorse for what you have done. Here's a question for you, especially those of you who were raised in West Michigan and many of you who were not. How many of us, when you were a child, were told in order to be saved, you had to pray a prayer, ask Jesus to come into your heart, and be sorry for your sins? Anyone at all? I was. Now, I want you to know, I appreciate that the summary of that is. I appreciate the summary that this is for our children. And I want you to know that there were many people who came to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ through praying and asking the Lord to come into their heart and feeling sorry for their sins. But there is an implicit danger in that summary. There is a danger in that summary in that if that summary does not mature to biblical standards... If that summary does not mature to biblical standards, while it might be an introductory summary that we give to children, it must not stay that way. The problem is that it often does. It often does stay that way, leaving a person deceived about their own salvation because they prayed a prayer, they asked Jesus to come into their heart, and they were sorry for their sins. Did you know that nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible are we ever told as it relates to salvation, never are we told that we must pray to ask Jesus into our hearts and that being sorry for our sins is sufficient? Never. One world-renowned child ministry pastor at the fastest-growing Baptist church on Aberdeen Street north of Knapp and east of Fuller, closest to the city limits, that has both shingle and metal roofing, said this. 
That also makes us the smallest, doesn't it? The healthiest and the weakest, all right? He said the following. We should use biblical language to talk about biblical concepts. We should use biblical language to teach about biblical concepts. You see, the scripture does not declare, pray, invite, and be sorry, but rather confess and believe and repent. And my friends, there is a supernatural, eternal world of difference between those two. It's huge. It's huge. Now allow me to unpack what I mean by that. Biblical repentance means a change of mind and purpose in life. Biblical repentance is a change of one's mind and one purposes in life. Hence the words when Jesus would talk to people and he would, he would offer them the plan of salvation and they would receive it and, and finish the sentence. Jesus said, and I think it's in John 8, yeah, 11, he says, now go and sin, no what? Don't go sinning anymore. Repent. Change your value system. Change your life. Change your direction. Stop living the way you once lived. It describes a change of mind that results, here it is, in a change of behavior. Here's a question. Please feel free to answer it. Can we be sorry for something and not change our behavior? Talk to me, church. (laughs) All the time. Can we repent and not change our behavior? No. That's the definition of repentance. Repentance is to change our behavior and purpose in life. For repentance is that change of behavior and values. Do you see now why the church needs to hear the gospel just as much as the world that does? Do we ever in the church promote and claim a gospel that produces no change? Do we ever promote and teach and claim a gospel that produces no change or purpose or behavior in our lives? Has the church ever produced generations after generations of people who live no different from the world? Go and sin no more. And yet we claim salvation through faith and repentance. Henrik Hepe, Hepe, however you say his name, he's not in this glorious book that I was given, all right? So you can't hold me accountable for that. I'll say his name however I want, all right? No, I'm just... From Henrik Hepe, he says this. He says this. A gracious, repentance is a gracious power bestowed upon the elect because repentance is a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God, uh, the kindness of God. And it is given to the elect where one increasingly lays aside the life of sin and busies themselves with righteousness. Oh, may I speak to every one of us, and I want to be honest, especially to my own heart today. What are we busy with? What are we busy with? Together we must hear this. I want you to hear this. Sorrow is not a synonym to repentance. Sorrow is not a synonym to repentance. While repentance may contain sorrow, 
Sorrow does not necessarily contain repentance. Do you see already the mild variant of the gospel in our midst? A mild gospel which, by the way, leads to a lot of false positive salvation claims. It only whitewashes our living tombs and leaves us in spiritual death and decay that goes untouched inside. In fact, the word solemnly testified here, Paul is telling believers, that's the audience, he's telling believers that he never preached in easy believism. He never preached in easy believism. A.W. Tozer correctly observes this. He says this, A whole new generation of Christians have come up in the church believing that it's possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world and repenting of sin. And then he just hits it out of the ballpark when he says this, If, if we are not, I love this, If we are not changed by grace, then we are not saved by grace. If we are not changed by grace, then we are not saved by grace. Beloved, faith without repentance is no faith at all. Now allow me to unpack some historical background that's going on here so that we can descend in the, the waters of nerddom, all right? But we'll see ourselves in this historical background. Now at this time, roughly 56, 58 AD, right around in that ballpark, in the early church, there seemed to be a theological split beginning to happen between the Jews and the Gentiles. A theological split where, where they just said, you know what, one group of people just needs faith, And the other group of people needs both faith and repentance. And by the way, that same mentality is alive and well in the Baptist church today. For example, the Jews. The Jews, because they believed they were God's chosen people who possessed the Old Testament scriptures, that all they needed for salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to grab that all they needed was faith and not repentance. Let me ask you a question. Are the pews of our church, are the homes that used to go to church, are they filled with people who claim faith but see no need for a change in life, no need for repentance because of their proximity to the things of God? Now, Gentiles who were not God's chosen people and did not have the Old Testament scriptures, they, on the other hand, must repent of their sins and be saved because they are outside of the things of God. Do you see the deadly variant of the gospel mutating here, even in the early church? There is a whole group of people in the early church who, because of where and how they were raised, grab that because that principle from the context will translate into the lives of our young people, and by the way, into the lives of your pastor and yours as well. There is a whole group of people in the early church because of where and how they were raised think that they have received salvation that does not require repentance. And Paul says, just because you grew up under the shadow of Christianity does not mean that your salvation does not require biblical repentance. My friends, the New Testament, I need you to hear this, the New Testament knows nothing of a gospel that lacks a call to repentance. That is why Paul proclaimed this, he says, to both Jews and to the Greeks. So we must answer that point. If repentance is more than just a feeling sorry for our sins, 
If repentance is more than just feeling sorry for our sins, and it is more than that, what is it then? Well, we know it's a change of behavior, okay? We get that. But it goes further than that. You see, it's important to understand that biblical repentance is both an initial and continual aspect in our lives. It is both an initial act of turning away from God, and it is continual. We see that in 2 Corinthians 3, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9. Allow me to explain. True repentance happens at the initial moment of salvation. That is when we confess our sins and we place our faith and believe in Jesus Christ and we say, I no longer want to go and sin no more. I want to turn away from my sin and I want to head towards you, God. That is the initial point of salvation. In fact, we see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. When you say, Lord, forgive me in my sins, I am wrong. But repentance while initial, is also continual in its effect in our lives. We see that in 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9. This is a verse written to believers. If we confess our sins, he is just and able to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is not a salvaic verse. It is a sanctification verse. It is a verse for the church who finds themselves in sin. Now with that in mind... Why would believers who are forgiven have to repent as life goes on? Well, there are a couple reasons, but let me just stay on the primary road here. As we grow in love, as we grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his gospel, the more the truth, the more the light of his truth shines in our lives. And the more light and the more truth that we have, the more we become aware of sin in our lives. This is the continual part of repentance in our lives. Not because we're living depressed lives or, or, or that we're just down and out, but because we find great joy in pursuing Jesus Christ. The more light of God's word and our knowledge and our love for Jesus Christ, the more we will see his holiness and, his, and our sinfulness. The more we learn about Christ, the, frankly, the more we learn and is revealed about our own hearts. And the contrast of who he is and who we are will by nature grow greater and it will cause us to repent of anything that is contrary to what he wants in our lives if this is not the continual effect of your repentance in mind then we must we must examine the initial repentance no wonder second corinthians 3 5 tells us to examine our salvation to see if christ is in us is christ more in you today than, it went, than when you placed your faith in him. Or we fail that test because we're not becoming like him. Here's the difference, my friends, of false faith and true repentant faith. Allow me to explain. False faith without repentance will live with and even excuse and embrace sin looking back to the initial experience as the proof of their salvation. Looking back at the initial experience as the proof of their salvation. However, true faith, true faith with repentance will increasingly hate sin, turn away from it, and pursue Christ. And it will look at its present life as proof of their salvation. Oh, may I ask you a question? 
how many generations of the church have embraced sin habitually, do not grow in the knowledge in the love of Jesus Christ while claiming faith in Him for salvation. So, a question comes. Why have we in West Michigan, why have we in, in the church today, and all the way back to 58 AD and the, and on, the, on the shores of Miletus as he talks to the Ephesian elders and says, don't teach a variant of faith and repentance. Why have we divided faith from biblical repentance? And the answer is because it makes it easy. It makes the Christian life easy. We live in a day and age when many church leaders, because let us remember, that is who Paul is talking about in this context, when many church leaders are trying to attract people to church by making the gospel something it is not. A one-time vaccination shot that keeps us from ever catching hell. Just say a prayer. Just be sorry and invite them into your heart. And regardless of what happens after that, you just go and look back at this moment in time and convince yourself that something happened, although it has absolutely no fruit whatsoever. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Salvation is an initial event of faith and repentance that produces a lifelong process of ever-increasing repentance and faith. It's not dead. It's not dormant. Therefore, if there is no lifelong process, grab this, it's so simple. It's right here. If it doesn't create a lifelong process of increasingly wanting to be more like Christ then there never was a one-time event. I remember the day when I was a kid, and maybe you can re- relate to this. How many here are old enough to remember no internet? Anyone at all? The good old days. No, no. There are no good old days, all right? There's today. Just let's get through it, all right? Here we go. I remember when I was a kid, and maybe you can relate to this as well. When I was told that when I placed my faith, when I prayed a prayer, and I said I was sorry, and I invited Jesus into my cardia, now I don't mean to mock that, I'm just saying in my life, it never went past that. In my life, this is what salvation looked like. Have you ever had this in your life? Has the church? Does that look like a tree planted by the rivers of life? And they said, you just go ahead and you write that day you got saved in the inside of your Bible. Anyone ever told that? Anyone else? Just write it in there. And when our adversary Satan comes and and causes you to doubt your salvation, you just go back to your Bible, you go to the cover, and you, you show Satan, I'm saved, leave me alone. Anyone at all have that? I'm sure Satan is petrified of our cover of our Bible. Oh, excuse me, I didn't know. I've been attacking you for no reason. Sorry. Not. No. (laughs) That's so old. 
Well, it's been a minute since I've said that. I said that for my wife. She said that to me. She goes, it's been a minute. And I'm like, what are you, 22? We don't say that. And I rebuked her and washed her in the word. Let's get back. Let's get back here. And when you doubt your faith, you just show them the inside of your Bible cover. And this is the evidence of your salvation. I want to be loving and I want to be humble, even though that ship seems to have sailed. My friends, I do not wish to impose upon such a precious memory as the day we came to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But I want to make this clear. That date in my Bible is not evidence of my salvation any more than a date on a milk carton guarantees its freshness. I think we've all been there. The evidence of our salvation is not a date we look back on. The evidence of our salvation is the life that we are living right now. That's the evidence. Oh, Paul Washer says it well when he says this. Salvation is not a flu shot. Salvation is not a flu shot. The evidence that you have repented of your sins then is that you are repenting of your sins in greater degree today. The evidence that you believed then is that you are believing in greater degrees today because here it is, church, dormant faith is dead. Yet there are generations upon generations of our children and grandchildren and adults and grandparents who have no desire for God and you couldn't convince them one iota that they don't know him because they prayed a prayer, asked him into his heart and said they were sorry. I've said I've been sorry till I'm blue in my face and have never changed my behavior. My friends, this is not salvation. This is not salvation. If you prayed a prayer and invited Jesus into your heart and you were sorry for your sins, which can be a wonderful summary and a wonderful beginning, but if you did those things in your love for Christ and your desire for Him looks a lot like this tree, this is a variant of the gospel that does not save. But if you confess and you believe and you repent with continuing results, then the gospel of Jesus Christ has saved your soul. And you don't need a date on the inside cover of your Bible. You know, all you got to do is look at a heart that longs for more of Him. No wonder Paul later wrote to Corinth, all oh, the context of Corinth. Test yourselves, shake yourselves to see if you are truly in the faith of repentance. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus is more and more and more and more in you? And if he's not, then indeed you have failed the test. What test? Faith. Rather than give you another analogy, I'm going to invite a picture of what this looks like in West Michigan up here. The testimony that you are about to hear, and I'm going to invite Calvin Bradley up at this time.
His testimony is uniquely special in the culture of West Michigan, in a culture that believes faith does not require biblical repentance. And I've asked my brother Calvin to come up and just take a few minutes and share how he was that tree for most of his adult life. So brother, love you. You have 32 seconds. (laughs) Take your time. Hello? All right. Because I will go on forever if I don't read this. Raised in a Christian family. Uh, Not in West Michigan, it's on the east side, so there goes a hole in that one. Um, But uh, east side of Michigan, raised in a family, good beliefs. Um, When I was six years old, uh, Pastor Spivey, was his name, gave the message of the, have you been a sinner? Are you a sinner? Ask Jesus in your heart, repent, or not so much the repent part, but it was just ask Jesus in your heart. And I remember my dad and I in the Sunday school downstairs, we did that. He's like, have you sinned? I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't want to tell you I've sinned, but I, I have, you know. And he's like, you know, that will send you to hell. And like, yeah, he goes, you know, you need to ask Jesus in your heart and, and ask for forgiveness and you can go to heaven. Let's do it. That was my view of Christianity in itself, of ask Jesus in your heart. And uh, as a teenager going on missions trips with our youth group, that was, I'm going to use this word, regurgitated, if you will, into my testimony to other kids who didn't know Jesus. Are you a sinner? Are you this? Are you that? Moving forward until I was about 17, 18 years old, again, having a very little view of Christianity, of of who Christ was and what Christ is, I, I didn't know who Christ was as a point of, was he our Messiah? Was he the one that came and died on the cross? I heard that, but, but also in Scripture was, we're looking for Christ still. I'm like, so there was just a lot of misunderstanding that I wasn't taught about um, that well. And so this thing called Harvest Fest on the east side of the state, uh, the pastor got up there and said, you know, our long way to Messiah, Jesus Christ, came and died on the cross for our sins. And if you ask Jesus into your heart, you will be saved. I'm like, oh, that is it. That's the thing I've been missing is Jesus. He was the Messiah. That's why I was not saved. Again, right then and there, I asked Jesus in my heart and uh, moved on with my life. Was baptized when I was six, but baptized when I was 17 again, so double dunked. Um, Got married to Megan. Um, moved here to the east side, uh, west side of the state, um, pursuing a family that didn't really happen the conventional way. We adopted Mercy, and it was uh, life-changing in that, and, but something was still missing. Uh, it was a deacon at our church for, it was, I feel like it was six years, well, it was six years straight, <laughs> um, and still something, something was missing. So now that I'm a deacon in the church, so back in October of last year, uh, I was supposed to go to my brother's house for some good old-fashioned fun. Uh, I'll leave what we were doing, 
but uh, we were supposed to be doing some stuff together, and I wanted to go. My, mom, my wife said, hey, well, pastor's preaching a sermon on salvation. We need to go uh, support him because it was a special sermon, a special in uh, Acts. It was special to him. We want to be there for him and pray for him. But I knew what that sermon was on. It was on salvation. It was on repentance. And in that whole year behind me was of, of big red flags, but I didn't see it then. But now I see it of, I don't know what salvation looks like. But to go to Pastor's point, I kept looking back at, back at Harvest Fest. Well, I asked Jesus in my heart then, so it must be true. So went to my brother's house. We finished up earlier than I wanted to because I didn't want to come back to church. And if I, I put right here, face the music, if you will, of, of me. So I came back to church Sunday pastor started preaching. You know that feeling when you know you've done something wrong or your dad's calling you or your mom's calling you but you're turning away from them and they put your hand on your shoulder and just kind of squeeze and say, I'm right here, buddy. Or I'm right here, kiddo. That Sunday morning, Christ put his hand on my shoulder and it was this joy of a call of to repentance, call of, son, you have not returned. You have not turned from your sins. You have not done this. And it was a sweet call. I was telling this to the pastor Sunday, uh, Wednesday night. It wasn't a call of you're guilty and you're going to hell. It was a call of you're in, you're in, you are in here now with me. You have turned. You are going to turn it. And so Sunday, it was October something last year. I don't know the date exactly, but Jesus called me to repent. And I did. And it was a joyous thing. As a deacon in our church and as a father of one and as a husband and all these things, I was not living at, well, well not living, but I wasn't a Christian. And if I would done something wrong, I hit something right, and I was not headed to heaven. But now, I am. So, that's in a nutshell. Very similar salvation experiences. I came to know Jesus Christ when I was studying to be a pastor. May God bear down upon our souls the joy of salvation and the need for biblical repentance. And may our churches be filled with new creations, not dead people clinging to a false variant of a dormant gospel. If you're here this morning and you look at your life and you don't see an ever-growing desire to repent, or you look at your faith and your belief and you don't see a stronger, growing belief, then we need to look back at that initial moment. And if you don't know if you have placed repentant faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you this morning. Do not leave this room. Come shake my hand. Say, I want to make sure I want, I know that I have never repented. 
I encourage you to do that today. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. There is no guarantee for your next breath. Every breath is a gift. It's grace. Use it to know him. Gracious Heavenly Father, dismiss us with your blessing. May our faith be greater than the day of our salvation. May our repentance be greater than the moment of it. And may our love for you be greater than it was yesterday, a month ago, and a year ago. Father, redeem your church. Call us out from this world to be light, not camouflage. Start with me. We love you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. You are dismissed.